This episode is brought to you by Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma. When it's time for an aircraft component inspection, overhaul, repair, or replacement, you need experienced technicians you can trust and friendly service you can count on. Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma, a family-owned business since 1959, delivers just that. Our techs have real-world experience and provide sales, service, and overhaul for piston engine aircraft accessories. We also have limited turbine capabilities such as fuel pumps, starter generators, and prop governors. And we can overhaul propellers ranging from fixed pitch to turbine. Propeller pickup and delivery service is available. And one more thing, mention this podcast to receive 5% off your next sale, service, or overhaul. Visit aircraftaccessoriesofok.com. Hi, I'm Mike Bush. I'm Paul Neuf. And I'm Colleen Sterling. Welcome to Ask the AMP. <laughs> Ask the AMPs is, uh, is where we try to, we, we do our best to try to answer your toughest maintenance questions. So if you have a question, um, send it in to uh, podcasts at aopa.org. That's podcasts at aopa.org. And we'll, we'll invite you to our next recording session. And if you like the podcast or go just wherever you normally go to get podcasts, we're there somewhere. <laughs> that's not how it's supposed to read, is it? That's not quite, yeah, that's not quite as good as you usually do. That sounds good. Colleen, yeah. did you give him a 411? You want me to say something? About yourself. Oh, yeah. So, of the three of us, I'm the least experienced person because I don't work in the industry or was not AMP uh, of the year, um, but I do own three airplanes and I'm actively involved in my maintenance, so I try to take the owner-pilot perspective in all my answers. And I want to say up front, I'm the one that studies in this group, and these are pop questions, so I'm definitely at a disadvantage. She teaches an A&P class. Yeah. And flies, like, you know, really, air racing yeah. and aerobatics, and it goes on and, and on. And be, she and her husband, between the two of them, own five airplanes. Yeah. Which yeah. Is, is We're busy. four more than God intended. Yeah, I'm only allowed to own one at a time. And I convinced Helen that half of one airplane and half another still equaled one. <laughs> you can't just own one airplane. Yeah. Well, apparently. <clears throat> and, and Paul's been swinging wrenches on airplanes since he was, what, three or something? Oh, something like that. Uh, five or six. I've been doing this a long time. I don't know how to do anything else. My original um, vocation and formal education is aircraft electronics. That's what my degree's in. And so I grew up fixing wrecked airplanes and flying airplanes and... But I'm a mechanic that happens to fly, and I have a shop in Jackson, Tennessee, and we do uh, Cirrus and single-engine Cessnas, particularly the 210. And that's what I've done forever. So that's me. Yeah, I have a much weirder background than that. I, <laughs> I was trained as a mathematician and spent most of my adult life as a, as a software developer. And uh, then when I got about 60 years old, I... I, I was kind of feeling burned out doing software, and uh, I'd, I'd been flying since I was in my 20s. I bought my first airplane when I was 25 years old, so I said, well, maybe I can make a new vocation out of my avocation, and so... Oh, is it, is it flailing again? Yeah. All right, we're going to start with the first question. Um, <laughs> 
Andrea from San Antonio has a burning question that she's been waiting to ask. Oh, Andrea. She's going to get us started out. I'm going to introduce uh, Andrea, and let's have the question. Hi. I'm actually from the San Antonio area, not just Texas. Um, I have a few airplanes, and I also am an A&P startup, so I don't know much yet either. But I do have an issue with oil temperature. Um, this is my question is about oil temperatures. Uh, is there any potential preventative maintenance solutions? And also, is there a way to fly the airplane to keep the temperatures of the oil cooler while flying in Texas in 100-some degrees? I do have, um, I'm running a Shell 100. Uh, I do keep the oil full and I play with the mixture while I'm flying. I reduce throttle when I have to. I don't climb. Is there an additive? So those are my questions. Thank you. Oil temperature. What kind of oil temperatures are you seeing? Really? Well, one of the airplanes I manage are flying over red line. And on mine, it's like close to a red line. And I try to play with it to keep it under. But one flies very much over red line. Analog gauges? Yeah. High tech. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what kind of airplane? 172. With the Lycoming? The, the one has a Lycoming um, O360, and the other one's a Continental 300. Mm. Well, so, the brute ahead. force way to do it is to keep airflow over your oil cooler, right? So I've had oil temperature issues, and you can step climb and give the engine a break, reduce the RPM, let it cool down a bit, and go up if you have the luxury of doing that. That's kind of a poor man's solution to oil yeah. temperature management. Well, one of these is a pipeline um, airplane, and oh. they're three to 500 feet off the ground. And yeah, so of... there's no climbing. No climbing. I guess you could step climb that like 10 feet at a time. <laughs> <clears throat> but is there anything preventative or something I can do in a certified airplane to, to find a way to cool that oil? And I, I believe it's like really alarming for me. Have you checked the baffling? Because the same air that's cooling the cylinders is also cooling the oil cooler. Okay. So yeah, work really hard at directing more air through the, the cooler. I don't know what those, so what kind of power settings, like all in? Uh, the pipeline runs pretty well all in because they're doing steep turns through the whole thing. And, yeah. Uh, the other 172 is on climb and it cools off a little bit when I'm in level flight. But. And how long has it been doing this? A long time. Do you suppose it would be worth uh, sending the oil coolers out to uh, for for flushing? To clean out the cooler. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I think that. Yeah, if it's been, I would agree. A long time. But I would also do an oil analysis and just see at the uh, how how often you change the oil. Fifty. Yeah. Yeah, I would I would do an oil analysis and see how detrimental it is. Not that they're going to change anything. I would just be curious to know. But yeah, I think oil cooler flushing. And I know we're spending too much time on this question, but very quickly, uh, I had an oil uh, temperature issues in my Cardinal, changed out the Vernotherm, miraculously solved it. Yeah. Also changed out the JPI sensor, it was an old sensor, miraculously solved it. You can pick the oil temperature off of a different part of the engine, can miraculously solve it. Now, so. wait, wait, wait. now that doesn't work. I suggest that all the time, just to move the probe somewhere else, or it turn worked. the radio up so you can't hear it. You guys never agree. It worked for me. <laughs> Well, a vernotherm's a good idea, I think, too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All right, where's David Burke? All right, I'm going to run over to Dave. I'm Dave, so I can remember your name. Go ahead and uh, read your question here to the Ask the a &P. scary. You never yeah. know what they're yeah. going to ask. Yeah. Oh, very brief. We hear this quite a bit. Uh, I do use MoGas in my uh, 0470. And uh, 
will Mogas ruin my engine as some mechanics talk about? Will Mogas ruin your engine? Mogas in an 0470 no. works great. Yeah. Yeah. And, <laughs> and any, any mechanic that tells you that you need lead to lubricate the, uh, the valves, that, that's an old wives' tale. It's been going around forever. It's, there, there's really no truth to it. Uh, the the, the Skylands, Skylands fly just great on, uh, on, on, on Mogas. The only thing I would suggest is if the airplane's going to sit for a while, you, you put your lawnmower up for the winter, and you have to take the carburetor apart come spring. So run Avgas through it on your last flight of the year or the last flight before it's going to park for a while. Yeah, yeah. It smells? <laughs> yeah. gas has a smell to it. Huh. So you, you really don't like the smell of it in the hangar, so. I keep waiting for airplanes to run on beer because it's cheaper than gas right now. It's <laughs> <laughs> good. All right. All right, we good with that one? Move on? Yeah. yeah. And right. We don't do marital questions, by the way. Just keep that clear. Oh, is this the lightning <laughs> round or something? <laughs> I'm trying to keep us on track. All right, so Bob Lemieux, somewhere around the middle. Okay, Bob, I'm actually interested in your question because we see a lot of aircraft now for sale, um, and they're getting snapped up just as soon as they're being posted. And uh, I believe your question is going to be germane to a lot of us who are looking to get back into aviation ownership. I think he's given us time to kind of think about the Take question before the question's asked. That's, that's good. <laughs> okay, so my home was broken into and my logbooks were stolen for my airplane. Oh my God. How do I start getting it recertified? Where, where do I begin in this? I didn't hear the very first part the of log that. Logbooks were stolen? Logbooks were stolen. Okay. How, does, uh, how can we get, how can we rebuild those logbooks? Wow. Because I've had to do this several times on airplanes that we've purchased from insurance companies and all that. You just start going through anything that you know, anyone that you know that may have worked on it, um, any shop that's worked on it, repair stations. What, what kind of airplane is it? It's a Rocka 11AC. Oh, gosh. And most of the people are dead. Yes, yeah. that's exactly. That's, that's, that's exactly. As soon as you said that, I'm like, okay, well, you're not going to get all that stuff. But the, you know, the FAA doesn't require you to keep law books for very long. So keeping the law books is all about marketing. It's, a, it's so that you can sell the airplane, which is what you're wanting to do. Um, I'm wanting to sell the airplane. I'm just oh, I thought you were back in the air again. Oh, uh, well. Yeah, the, 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 it was talking about the legalities of it. Yeah. The, 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 most of the, the law book uh, entries, which are ones that we call 43.9 and 43.11 entries that, are, that document repairs or document annual inspections, only need to be kept for one year anyway, as far as the FAA is concerned. The, the, the biggest problem is, uh, is AD compliance. Um, and it's possible that at the next annual inspection, if you haven't, if, if you can't document compliance with an AD, it may have to be recomplied with. Yeah. 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 That's, 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 that's the biggest yeah. I thought you were selling the plane. If you still yeah. own the airplane, 
He doesn't want to sell. Yeah, don't keep it. <laughs> Go find it. it. It's legal. Just because you don't have the records doesn't make it illegal all of a sudden. Right. But, but, hope, but it, 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 will, it could be a problem at the next annual at with annual, respect to do do? AD yeah. compliance. But right, but I mean, you can make it. It me a lot for the annual. Yeah. If you have to split the case of the engine, yeah, to see what's yeah. inside for an AD, that's... Yeah. But, that, but that's rare. I mean, that, that would be pretty rare. Yeah. yeah. You, you can make it flyable just by completing the annual, whatever that entails. You're good. Luckily, it's a simple airplane. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. All right. Good enough. Uh, and and I'll, I'll, let me make one more comment, which isn't going to yep. be particularly helpful to you. But hopefully, anybody who's listening to this, you really need to have your logbook somewhere up in the cloud. Yeah. You, you yeah. just it, It's just so risky to depend on... Yep. On, on paper, yeah, and uh, the, I mean the future is that we're not going to have. I mean I haven't made a paper logbook entry in, in probably 15 years, um, and you know my my maintenance records are all in Dropbox, which presumably is, is a, a safe place for them to be. Presumably, so uh, anybody who has only paper records ought, ought to head to their nearest. Um, FedEx or or home or uh, or uh, Office Depot or something and get them scanned and, uh, and and put the scan somewhere in a safe place up in the cloud and, so that you can't lose them and take the thumb drive to your mechanic and not your paper logs. There you go. Oh. That way you can make sure you know what goes in the log books. Mm -hmm. Because the biggest problem in losing log books, as you said, is <clears throat> it devalues the aircraft. Um, and when, if when you go to sell it, it will be worth. It'll be worth a lot less if it doesn't have complete logs. So, if you have digital version, you just scan it PDF. You can buy a scanner for little or nothing. Yeah. And then you don't have to worry about your main log books because of a copy printed of the originals is as good as the originals. Absolutely. And and there's a there's an FAA advisory circular. It's AC 120-78A. I just happen to remember oh, that. Sure. <laughs> I didn't study. No. Uh, that that talks about uh, what the FAA requires in in digitized records. And for Part 91 operators, it's very it, it, it it's very easy. Uh, you don't have to do anything special, and the digitized records are just as good as paper. They're really better yeah. than paper. All right, moving on. I'm going to look for Jeff from Tennessee. Yay. Uh-oh, right. Tennessee. All right. Oh, Paul, you can of, translate for us. I'll, I'll translate. Okay, okay yeah, go ahead. Yeah. No, I can translate, too. I'm from Atlanta. I bet he knows the difference between hogged out and wallered out. <laughs> now, you don't live in a hollow, Hogged out has intention. That's right. right. Hogged yeah, out is, is an active thing, and wallered out is a passive right. thing. Right. <laughs> Got two parts here. How often should oil analysis be done? I can't hear. We can't hear. I can't hear that. How oil often analysis. should oil analysis be done? What should one look for when choosing an oil analysis provider? Hmm. What was the first part? How often should oil analysis be done? Oh. Every, every time you change time, the oil. Yeah. Every time. You want a pattern or a trend, so you don't want to skip anything. And, uh, then, and what should one look for? He wants to know in an oil analysis provider. Well, there aren't that many choices, are there? Well, there are, there are a number of choices. Um, oh, I actually pr prefer Blackstone Labs in Fort Wayne um, because they're, they just report on more stuff uh, than, than, than most labs. And they, they write 
down pretty um, understandable analysis of, of what they're worried about. Sometimes it's a little bit alarmist. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but that that's that's sort of the the lab that I prefer is Blackstone. Um, I've used AOA, which is now called Stavely, for 30 years on my Cardinal, and then just recently tried Blackstone because I bought another airplane that had a trend with Blackstone, mm-hmm. and I found them pretty comparable. I found them both same, you know, turnaround time, cost, uh, and then the details in the reports. I find that Blackstone's details is like more than I need. Um, so I, I was happy with the service that I had. I think they're all pretty comparable. Yeah, so you'd are. prefer less information and I'd prefer more. Yeah, well, it, so go figure. Th- these two spend a lot of time worrying about what I might say. Oh, no. <laughs> so uh, I like Blackstone mostly because a real person sat down and hand types the little thing at the top. And I, I see three or four or 10 Blackstone reports a week because I have customers. And I don't have time to go through all of them. So we forward those to all the customers because they geek out on it and that's mm-hmm. great. I read the first sentence in the paragraph. It tells me everything I want to know. This whole analysis looks great. I don't care what the rest of it says. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. Off it goes. Yeah. <clears throat> if it says, this was a little bit worrisome. Then I read the rest of it, and so, th- and I decide if it's as Mike said, Blackstone sometimes is a little alarmist, uh, and I will send the email with a with a text saying, "Don't panic. Mm-hmm. We'll look at it next time." And so that's that's the extent of my look. And when I look at it for my airplane, it's a little different. But anyway, hey, Colleen, tell the story about what made you a real believer in oil analysis. No, we don't have time for that. Oh, you know I do. But it works. It does work. It <laughs> saved me a lot of money, uh, caught a problem early. It's like blood work. When you go for your physical, you get the blood work done. Your doctor can look at the report. Your doctor is Paul in this case, Dr. Paul, <laughs> when you bring your airplane to him. And he can say, oh, maybe we should be concerned about certain things inside the engine. It gives you a look in the engine without opening the engine up. That's invaluable. When I get my blood work done, the doctor writes on the back page. You're still alive? You're, you're do- <laughs> All my numbers are perfect. And, and she writes in there, you're doing great. Whatever you're doing, do more. Doing and it. I go out and eat it's more hot dogs. It's the one bottle of red wine a day. <laughs> yeah. right, is this a segue into the donut discussion? No. Oh, gosh. <laughs> no, Dave wants the next question. All right, I'm looking for Sarah from Hood River, Oregon. Did I pronounce Oregon okay? I'm from Atlanta. All right, if you can't tell. All right, I want you to read your question. This is a really interesting question here, so hit us up with it. Thank you. I appreciate it. Also, my second opportunity to speak with you. I'm very grateful for it. The information is invaluable. Um, I have a 1959 Cessna 175 with a Lycoming 0360 in it. And lately, about 10% of the flights in the last year or so, so occasionally, uh, if we're doing a low power descent from cruise, which I do uh, Lena Peak and cruise, during descent, when the carb heat comes out, and sometimes I notice this and sometimes I don't, the EGT on number two cylinder rapidly disappears. And in a low power setting, I don't know I'm running on three cylinders, but when I put the throttle in to level off at pattern altitude, I definitely notice that I'm only running on three <laughs> cylinders. It's not cute. Um, now that I'm looking out for it, I can see this on the JPI engine monitor, and so I will then change, put the car key back off, change the throttle setting, change the mixture. It only seems to happen on low power descents. It 
seems like something's set wrong. I'm not sure what that is. Sounds like an O360 to me. It's a, a distribution of a fuel air mixture yeah. across the you, cylinders. You don't have much control over it. You've got a cylinder that, that's quit firing because it's running too lean. lean. That's what I think. Mike's going to want to quibble, so. No. Well, I, mean, <laughs> I was just but, waiting. But, he usually starts with that. But yeah, he does. Wouldn't we want to do a, a, a lean test and see if, if there's oh, an yeah. indication that that cylinder, that cylinder could be running too lean for various reasons. It could be running too lean because there's an induction leak. Ooh. It could be running too lean because the intake valve mm-hmm. isn't opening fully because there's a flat cam lobe. Hmm. So that, that, I mean, that bears further investigation. Have, have you done an in-flight uh, I, yes. induction leak test? Yes, I the analysis specifically for this reason. Mm-hmm. And we weren't really able to chase it down. Mm-hmm. Um, and they said the distribution of the air and fuel mixture appeared to be very good for a carbureted O360. They said mm-hmm. it looked really good. That doesn't mean it's good. <laughs> it means... It means it's good for a carbureted O360. Now, who, yes. who said this? Is it mechanic? She didn't know. No, she's savvy. <laughs> savvy analysis. Oh, oh okay. You know. <laughs> Your company. You know. Oh, savvy. <laughs> well, then I, then, I, then I trust him. Okay. <laughs> Those bums? <laughs> no, I, if it had been an O470, I think we would have jumped all over it and said, oh, the, the distribution is, is horrible, but uh, O360 isn't They're usually that pretty bad? good. Yeah. yeah. So it might be something else. Uh, causing that, but um, if they did the test, if they did the induction test, a gammy lean test, and didn't see a smoking gun, then it, we might just have to lump it into, oh, it's not breathing well. It so, comes back to life every time so far. <laughs> so, well, I mean, it, 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 but you, you, you're running on three cylinders. Isn't that enough for low power? <laughs> so, if you still had the, the GO3. Normally when we're doing the podcast and we hear that, I get complaints from Ian because it's one of the guys doing an engine run outside the shop. So I'm off the hook this time. If you still had the GO 300 in the airplane, you'd be running on five out of six. It'd be yeah. way better. <laughs> so when you're in the descent, you're lean a peak and you can have the carb heat partially out for a little better balance. No, I've been, it's been actually fairly smooth running at lean a peak without any carb heat, not touching the carb heat. Okay. I go to descend, I enrich the mixture a little bit. If I need to get down in a hurry, the power comes way back, car heat comes on, and that's when I see that EGT on number two just plummet. So Sometimes I notice just, it. Just as a data point, the next time you do it and it plummets, just push the mixture in first yeah. and see what happens. It sounds like she's doing something like that. You're fiddling with it to get it to yeah, come back. Just, I see it's gone, I'm yeah. to get it back. And it well, comes back. so don't car panic, because it's just one out of four cylinders, and, and just do one control at a time. Try the mixture first and see what reaction you get. Well, when, when this is happening, um, I'm kind of missed it. Is, is carb heat out? It, it seems to be tied to the carburetor heat. And, yeah. you know, I, I've always... So, uh, so when, when, when you pull on carb heat, that dramatically enriches right. the mixture. Mm-hmm. And so I'm wondering whether that cylinder is flaming out because it's too rich, not because it's too lean. Too rich? Ooh, I kind of doubt it. No, I, I don't know. The, the installation, it's an STC installation, so I don't know. Why are you putting oh, the carb heat on in the descent? Because low power. If the power is like yeah. below got the you know, power 15 out. inches of manifold. Well, what I meant to ask is why are you pulling the throttle back in descent? If you have to get down. Yeah, the that's a good Yes, yes, great question. Yeah, yeah. Because you got, my dad always taught me that's when you make up for that speed in the climb. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, 
And I know there's a red line on that Skyhawk, but it never gets there. So even straight down, even straight down, you can clip the wings outboard the struts and it won't make red line. So push the nose over and rock on. I, I live in the windsurfing capital of the world. As Dave mentioned, Hood River, Oregon is known for outstanding gusty winds. So we try to observe that yellow uh, mark on the airspeed I've been windsurfing there. It's awesome. Yes. Wait, wait. You're, you're trying to do what? Maneuvering speed. She's trying to keep it within the gust limits of the airplane. Oh. She's being nice to our aircraft. Okay. Paul's like... I think he's being too nice to her. Crack the whip. Thank you. appreciate it. Thank you. Excellent. Obviously, we can go on for hours on that topic. Right, um, I don't think we answered. Could. I don't think we answered the question. But well, we didn't have any idea anyway. what was the problem. <laughs> Y'all never answer the questions. I've listened to the podcast before. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> All right, where's the, where's the Nathaniel DeVries? Ian never talks to us like that. No, where's Ian? He was just in. So a while back, AOPA came out with some tips on ground handling of your aircraft. And they said specifically for Cessna flyers, don't push down on the tail surfaces because you might stress fracture something. I thought that was very interesting because after just about every flight lesson, my flight instructor would just about sit down on that thing and spin it around. So how strong is it back there and are we hurting the airplane? Well, so your flight instructor's not paying for the maintenance, right? <laughs> not to my knowledge. <laughs> no. So the, the tail feather, on, and this is real common on a Cessna, and don't try it on a 210 because I have to do that repair often. <clears throat> it doesn't really have a, depending on which one you have, it, it, 150, 152, it's not a true spar. It's just the skin folded. Well, the 172 has a spar, but it's not made for all that pressure to be in one place. So you're pushing down in this one spot, and the ribs that are on the inside are made with, it's, it's almost aluminum foil. It's like 20,000 thick, 15,000 thick aluminum, and they crack because you're pushing in the wrong places. It's just not designed for that. You can push on the tail cone because it's got a lot of uh, curved, much heavier aluminum, much better structure. If you just have to do it, and for some reason getting a tow bar out is too much work, I know that's a lot of effort, but uh, don't push down on the tail because, now, yeah, you're putting a lot of stress under there. Now, Paul, when I want to get the nose wheel up on my Cardinal, I get these big 20-pound cement blocks I put a moving blanket down on the tail and I lay them down on the tail until it pops the wheelie. You have not been at any of my seminars, have you? <laughs> I, I'm very careful. So Cessna will tell you in the service manual to put cases of oil yeah, on oil. the tail of the airplane to lift the nose and They're change the expensive. tire. I think that's like the worst idea ever. <clears throat> so here's one of the things that happens. You have four cases of oil on the tail of your 210 or maybe a 206. The nose gear doesn't come up yet. What are you gonna do? You're gonna get more cases of oil. So you stack them where? On top of the cases that are there now. And then when the tail goes down, the cases on top are like, and they fall what off. can I fall on? Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna fall on the elevators. <laughs> so I've, I've done that repair. I've never had that. Happen. Are we supposed to do that with cases of beer? Yeah, whatever. No, I've never had that happen, but I'm always worried about it. I stack some tires under the, under the tail, and I gently get it down. I add these things very carefully, very close to the center. I have a stabilator, so it's a little stronger than, than the 150. So when you were talking about pushing down the tail cone, you're talking about the stinger? The, no, the, no, no, the, the, the impenage, the, yeah. the tail cone, the structural tail cone of the airplane, the, uh, the of, horizontal. Ahead and of the rudder? Just, just in front of the rudder or oh, okay. on the dorsal fin. You can push down on part of the dorsal fin. It's pretty strong. Really? 
But well, cardinals are a little off we'll, anyway. You know, they don't have the right kind of tail. The answer was don't do that. Get a tow bar. <laughs> I got a, I got a, got a quick follow-up myself. So I live in Frederick, Maryland now, and uh, in, during the wintertime, it rains. I mean, it snows, and sometimes it, there's some ice, and then you yeah. see a lot of aircraft tail low um, with a lot of ice build up on it. But I imagine since you're not pushing down effectively on it, I was thinking that would that even but that's, damage it? That's even, perfectly evenly yeah, distributed. Yeah, the, L, L, the ice is well distributed. Yeah, and the, okay. the bad well, part okay. is it, the icicles stick it to the ground. <laughs> so you want to be careful when the when it all breaks loose. You want to be sure and inspect the ground for spare parts that didn't break loose at the same time. That makes sense. All right, Jim Green from Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Ah, coming over to the right side of the theater. And we got about 15 minutes left, so we have a few more questions that we'll get to. He's supposed to say, come on down. <laughs> All right, Jim. Hi, guys. I, I fly a Cessna 182J, 1966. Um, when I'm in cruise... I only have a single axis autopilot, so it steers well, but it doesn't hold altitude. It'll come up 100 feet, even in, in calm air, go down a couple hundred feet, so now I'm below, then it's back up again. And I'm trying to find out, is that normal for a 182, or is that, say, the rigging might need to be adjusted, or what makes that porpoise like that? And this is, you said, with an autopilot or no autopilot? No, no autopilot in pitch. Oh. Yeah. It's a wing level, right? Uh, yes, got a yeah. wing yes. leveler. Right. Yeah. So it's just walking in pitch. Yep. I'm constantly having to fight it if I'm worried about what ATC is going to call or when I go so a little too far. it's hunting, so... I'm sorry? It's hunting. Yeah, right. Yeah. He said autopilot, and I immediately went to, you've got an autopilot issue, which is common on that the 182, yeah, all that whole this series. This isn't an autopilot. Yeah, no autopilot. Yeah. This is fugoid oscillation. Have you, yeah, have you checked your cable tensions? Mm. Our mechanic checks tensions every time we do the annual inspection. Now, I don't know what kind of tolerance he's able to use, but yes, we check them. I, I'm real suspect of there's a whole lot that goes on in the tail of 182. Cable tensions, it's important to seriously check them, not just a, oh, that no TLAR system on that. TLAR. You know what TLAR is? No, I don't. That looks about right. <laughs> <laughs> It's Tennessee talk. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> you need to use it. You need to use a tensiometer. Yeah, a And the same thing on the trim tab. And there's a whole lot going on in the trim tab. So if you stand behind the airplane, two checks I want you to do is grab the trailing edge. And we're not trying to bend something. You're just trying to see if you got something loose between the two because they bolt in the middle. And just see if it moves just a little bit. And then go to the trim tab. Put it somewhere in the middle and then move it up and down and see how much free play you have. You're allowed two and a half percent of the cord of the trim tab. And this is common on Cessna Piper Mooney. It's right in AC4313. It's also in the 182 service manual. And there's a lot of um, parts to the puzzle that allow that free play to happen. There's a bolt that attaches to the trim tab that goes into a bushing and a bearing and a rod, and same thing at the trim tab actuator. There's chains, and then you have the, the two 16th-inch cables that go to the front. So a lot of places for looseness. And if that's more than that 162 thousandths of an inch, just a little bit over an eighth of an inch free play, then you want to, you don't have to replace everything. You only have to get it good enough to get it within that tolerance. So you usually start with the bolts and the bushings back in the back because 
They're easy and cheap. Does that give you the low period oscillation? I mean, the long period oscillations he's describing, or is well, that more of a flutter issue? That can cause well, that would be too. flutter, but if if anything's loose, you're going to get slow stuff happen. I mean, okay, that's just the first place I would start. Uh -huh. I, when I play any kind of game like chess, I eliminate as many players as I can. You know, get rid of all of them. When I get down to two. I can almost manage it. So I start with you know getting getting rid of the, the low hanging fruit. Because I see that a lot. I would also, I would think any stickiness in the movement of the elevator would, would cause a symptom yeah. like that. The so. control yoke, like, like your 310 did in Las Vegas that time. Yeah. Uh, now, there, so, are, there, are, there, are there bearings in the control yoke that wear out? But see, 60, you said, what, is it J? J, Sixty. Yeah. Check the free movement of the control yoke. That's a, a good next place to go as well. Are there rollers in there? The, depending on the year model, they'll have rollers uh -huh. or they'll have a bushing. Hmm. Okay. okay, appreciate that very much. Good sure. Luck. All right, sounds like that 182 had, has a mind of its own. How about Lincoln Benedict? Where are you? All the way on the other side. Oh, good. We, we, we <laughs> needed someone from this side of the house. We Lincoln walked Benedict this way. Sounds like and listen, if we didn't get to y'all's questions, just to let you know, um, we've got some forms here you can fill out. Come see me after the show. We'll fill out uh, some more questionnaires, and we could follow up, okay? Mm -hmm. let, me, let me find Lincoln. Hello. Thank Hi. you so hey. much. Um, <laughs> I came all the way from Maine in my glass star with an O360. Has dual electronic ignition on it, one Surefly, which I've had on for nine months, and one EMAG, which I've had on for, well, about 10 hours. I flew it for two hours before coming out here. One thing I noticed is in cruise, uh, my CHTs, thank goodness, are usually pretty good in summer, around 360-ish. I do have an engine analyzer, um, the original EI one, so it's just the numbers, but I can at least keep track of them. Um, thing I noticed in crews coming out here, especially once I got up high, most of my stuff back in Maine was, you know, lower level. This was up 4,500, 6,500. The CHT on cylinder number three spikes like 30 to 40 degrees. So um, I was playing around in crews, and one of the things I did was a mag check because I just changed the ignition and. The big thing I noticed was shut off the EMAG, just sure fly. That cylinder number three went right back down. Uh. One weird thing is, I know this is a dual spark system with the EMAG, meaning it'll spark, it'll have a wasted spark. So theoretically, if it was the electronic ignition, it should have, um, I should notice this on an opposing cylinder. I tried running it rich a little bit, lean a little bit, but it seemed like in cruise, especially, it was bad. When I was climbing, the CHDs would climb too, um, but cruise was where it was really noticeable because it was up around 400. So, ideas. I don't. I don't know anything. I think he's he's messed up because he's done mix and match with this electronic ignition stuff. Really and they don't odd, like each other. Yeah, I'm not. Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, I, you know, the, the red herring is that when he shuts off one, it goes back yeah. to normal. So. The one you shut off is doing something wrong, right? Yeah. Is it advancing? Does it advance? I don't know anything about the EMAG. So conveniently, since we're at Oshkosh, I peppered the uh, EMAG guys with the same question. Mm -hmm. And they said it, it'll advance up to nine degrees. I believe, I forget the manifold pressure at which it 
starts to do that. I believe it's like 24, 25. Hmm. That's nine degrees is a lot. But it seems to me if it was an ignition timing issue, it would be affecting all the cylinders. Right, yeah. I thought Lincoln was going to say he went to the to the to the mag company and they were going to say ask the A and B's. Yeah. I was just curious if there's anything in a cylinder that would do that. Is there something specific? I mean, back to your mixture, talking about an O360 with a mixture issue before. Um, but the flow in the cylinder not is an different. Not in O360. Yeah. I, I mean, the flame front from one spark plug toward the other. It's a little different flow. I mean, that I don't know. I'm, I'm really usually reaching. when it's one again, cylinder, it it's an injector and an injected it's engine. It's a baffling issue, a cooling issue, I, I which is not the problem. Issue. I can't think of what that could be. There's almost That's, nothing, no failure mode in the ignition system that can yeah. cause elevated CHT in one cylinder. Yeah, yeah. it just can't happen. If, if the timing was off, it would affect all cylinders. Yeah, right. So I think it's a baffling issue. <laughs> In, uh, and Check in, in more ways than one. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's tough. This is just like the conversations we have around the dinner table at night. It's, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we got time for, I think, one or two more questions. Thank you very much. All right, where is Henrik, and I can't pronounce your last name, Stocking? Stockin All the way All back. The way on the other side. You're getting some exercise. <laughs> We appreciate the Ask the A&P's doing this live program today. Thank you all so much for, for being here. I know that your all schedule is busy. Hang tight. All right, where'd Henry go? Hey, he can walk and talk at the same That's time. That's pretty good. I wonder okay. if he can chew gum and walk. Hi. Oh. Hi. Great to be here. I'm all the way from Stockholm, Sweden, actually. Yay. Hey. <laughs> so my question is about um, uh, starting a warm engine. I have a... A J3 cup with a C90-8, so it's hand-propped, it's on float, uh, with a Marvel Shoveler carburetor. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, when it's hot, it's impossible to start. I have to wait for about an hour until it's cold. What can I do? Or what's wrong? So, it, I didn't hear the very last part. So, it's a J3 cub with a C90. And a Marvel Shebler carburetor. carburetor. Okay, and it's hard to start? Yes. It never yeah. happens. A hot start. It's impossible to hand prop when it's when warm. It's, when oh, it's when hot. it's hot. Yeah, oh, hot start, hot. hand prop. Yeah. Well, if it was a big bore continental, I could tell you exactly yeah. what to do. <laughs> hot start. Let me well, think. I mean, first thing, the first thing I would always try to check is, is the idle mixture adjustment on the carburetor. Yeah. Um, you, with the engine warm, you should... Uh, lean the mixture and, uh, uh, to idle cutoff and watch the tachometer, and you should get a rise of around 50 RPM before the engine starts to stumble. And if you're getting a lot less than that, or if you're getting no rise at all, that, then the idle mixture adjustment on the carburetor is too lean. If you're getting a lot more than 50 RPM rise, then it would be too rich. But it's just a simple screwdriver adjustment, a little needle bell. Yeah, it seems to be about right at about 50, I think. And I usually turn it off, turn it off with the max um, when I'm supposed to hot start it. I don't know if that's right or wrong, but it doesn't work. I mean, it, it's as bad if you try to start it with a, or stop it with a, the idle cutoff with the mixture. I never turn it off at the mags. Yeah. Why do you turn, turn it off, off with the mags? With the fuel. Why do we turn it off with mags? <laughs> <laughs> Who are you asking that to? 
the guy that he's asking yeah, the guy I'm, that told him to do Frederick. it. That I'm, I'm the co-owner of this cup, uh, <laughs> along with the third guy who's not here, unfortunately. But uh, well, we, we turn it off with the mags because uh, it's easier to start, make a hot start. So if we but he just told us it's harder not, to start. Yeah, that may be the problem. Uh, I mean, does that leave <laughs> fuel in the system? Not, and not really. It, it would put a little fuel in the cylinders, but unless he's starting it immediately after he shut it down. Of course, we tried. Uh, of course, we tried the mixture as well. Uh, usually, a cup doesn't have a mixture, but ours has it, and uh, it's the same thing. You, before, we didn't have a problem, but in the last couple of weeks, our mechanics—we have new mechanics—they changed the timing of the mags, and after that, we have this problem. Uh. We, we 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 feel that this problem is maybe related to that, but uh, can it be? Uh, can it be part of the timing of the mags? Correlated to the yeah yeah if it's incorrect it, you, yeah. you can have trouble starting because it's not firing at the correct time and you're fighting a piston coming up to center I mean or it, yeah you might want to check that problem with the impulse coupling and well but yeah. they didn't do anything with that it could be a problem yeah, yeah. but definitely the timing it, has to be right for you to have yeah if they messed with the mags then that would be the yeah. first so I hate I hate to say this as a mechanic but anytime you've had maintenance done and something isn't working right right after maintenance? It's probably something they did. Mechanic did, yeah. 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 You yeah. go back and say, okay, what did you do? What, yeah. <laughs> I always start there as a in troubleshooting. What what did we do? Mechanics are just as human as pilots. And that's so. part of the reason why we like to do as little as possible. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that is. That's true. Don't push the buttons. Minimum maintenance. <laughs> yep. Well, that's a wrap on another podcast. We hope... Uh, you had fun with us, and we know a lot less about podcasting than maintenance, so we really need your questions to make it interesting. You can send your questions to podcasts at aopa.org, and uh, Ian will look through them, and he will pick out ones, and maybe we'll talk to you at our next show. So thanks a lot for coming. See ya. Bye, everybody. Thanks. Thanks.